Chapter 19 Barnes backed up the Crown Vic until he was next to me. I handed him the letter. He read it and groaned. I knew it. I knew that little bastard was lying to me from the moment he opened his mouth. I could have had this goddamn case solved by Sunday afternoon. The killer threatened him, Barnes. The kid is scared, so he ran off. He ran off? Yeah. I rolled my eyes in exasperation. He ran off sometime last night. I found the letter on his pillow this morning. Have you called anybody to let them know? No, Barnes, not a damn soul. When you called this morning, I figured you had him. I was trying to tell you that. I called Alicia, too, but she's not picking up her phone. You do something to piss her off? Long story. It always is with you two. What the hell does that mean? Can we worry about the kid first? All right. Description? Barnes reached for his radio. Medium height, curly brown hair, dyed yellow on top. Light brown skin, green eyes, scrawny as hell. He's 13. I have no idea what he was wearing since he left in the night. Barnes keyed his mic. Dispatch, I have a 1031. Male, age 13, light brown skin, green eyes, curly dark hair, dyed yellow on top. Name is Marco Hausman. Juveniles wanted for information in Saturday's 1028. Juvenile reportedly ran away from Guardian's home in University Heights. If found, contact me. The dispatcher repeated the information back, adding Barnes's badge number. The radio filled with chatter as officers acknowledged the call. More than one said they'd had previous contact with Marco and knew him by sight. Uh, thanks. I have no idea where to look for him. We do. Go back to your home or your office. He may come back, but if he doesn't, I'll let you know if we find him. I nodded and shoved my hands deep in my pockets. It's okay, Fitz. He'll show up. Barnes put the Crown Vic in gear and pulled away. As long as he shows up alive. The violence inflicted on Steve Harrison made me shiver. In a few minutes, I was pulling up in front of my office. I looked through the painted letters of Fitzhugh Investigations on the front glass. Mary Margaret was on the phone, nodding and taking notes. She hung up as I walked through the door. Shouldn't you still be at home? Concussions aren't anything to mess with. Shouldn't you leave me alone? I stomped back to the coffee pot at the back of the office. Mary Margaret was right behind me. She was a good kid, but damn, she could irritate the shit out of me. She cornered me behind the former teller stations. What is it? Mia has been calling. She and her husband had an argument last night and he threatened her. She was pretty upset. She wants you to call her. You've also had two calls from divorce attorneys with potential cases and one potential insurance investigation and a couple background check cases and a skip trace. Anything from Alicia Linderman? No. I didn't let my face reflect my disappointment. Hadn't I been the one to tell her a year ago that she deserved better than a middle-aged mick like me? I told her to run, not walk, directly into his arms. So of course she did. And I learned to never second-guess my feelings again. What if he's talked her into staying? Okay. The coffee machine beeped. I poured a cup and headed back to my desk. Mary Margaret stuck close to my heels. How's Marco doing? Is he feeling any better? I don't know. He's missing. And Steve Harrison is dead. Oh, no. I gave her the Cliff's Notes version of Marco's upcoming move to Toledo, his mother's plea deal, and the letter on his pillow this morning. I didn't tell her everything about Steve Harrison's death, just that he'd taken a bullet to the back of the head. The phone on my desk rang. Mary Margaret picked it up. Fitzhugh Investigations. 
Yes, he is. May I ask who's calling? Julia Mazaros. One moment. She put the call on hold and looked at me. You want to take it? That's Rosario Drayton's secretary. Hell yes, I want to take it. I waited for Mary Margaret to close the door behind her before I picked up. Hello, Julia. Fitz here. Please hold for Miss Drayton. In a second, Rosario was on the line. You son of a bitch. That goddamn detective just left here. He all but accused me of killing Steve Harrison. You shouldn't be surprised. Didn't you tell me that he needed to be punished for sharing your phone number? I didn't kill him. The guy was hogtied, naked, and blindfolded. Aren't those your specialties? I told you, I didn't kill him. Sometimes part of the game is leaving them alone like that. I was coming back for him in an hour. Let me lay a few things out for you. One, I get sapped in the head in front of your office. Two, my assailant takes my gun and phone. And three, you return my phone but not my gun. Four, some poor bastard who you told me would be punished for giving out your phone number is found with a forty-five caliber bullet in the back of his skull. Doesn't take much to put my missing Glock in your hand. No. I keep telling you I don't have your gun. Then who does, Rosario? Who does? There was the sound of a disturbance on the other end of the phone. Rosario put her hand over the mouthpiece, but I could still hear her speak. Julia, what's going on out Both women screamed as the gunshots echoed in the background, and the line went dead. I slammed down my phone. Mary Margaret, call 911. Tell them to meet me at Rosario Drayton's accounting office. I think there's been a shooting. I stopped for a brief second. The key. The mysterious key on the black ribbon that had been wrapped around Anna Maria's journal. If that office somehow housed that velvet rope after hours, more than likely it would fit. If it fit, then maybe there was something at the scene that could tie everything to Rosario. I pulled my center desk drawer open. Stuffing the key and the journal both into my pocket, I grabbed my coat and ran out the door. I pulled my excursion beside the same street lamp across from Rosario's office, where I'd been cold-cocked just a couple days before. Cruisers were already there, along with a couple ambulances. Cops were beginning to string yellow crime scene tape around the entrance to the building. Barnes's Crown Vic pulled up behind me. He slammed the car door shut and walked over to my SUV. I rolled down my window. When it rains, it pours. Wait here. I need to talk to you after I figure everything out. Barnes walked over to the scene and, lifting the yellow tape, walked inside. In a few minutes, EMTs rolled out a single gurney. It was Rosario. Her long, dark hair disheveled, an oxygen mask over her face, and her long legs covered with a sheet. Two other EMTs came out, got in their ambulance, and drove away. So, Julia was dead. What happened to the shooter? Had he escaped? Was he dead inside? Barnes stepped out of the front door of the office building and pulled his phone from his pants pocket, no doubt calling Doc Lamberto. The crime scene techs showed up with their cameras, their chemicals, and their numbered yellow evidence marking tents. It would be several hours before the body, or bodies, would be moved. That gave Lamberto time to put Steve Harrison's corpse on ice and return for more. Barnes ended his phone call and followed the crime scene techs into the building. In a few minutes, he was back and walking toward me, motioning for me to come to him. You got that key you told me about? Barnes was terse as he lifted the crime scene tape for me to enter. Yes, sir. Hang on. Let me give you some gloves and shoe covers, just in case. He motioned for a cop to hand me a pair of black latex gloves and blue shoe covers. Once I had them on, we headed toward the door. 
was propped open. Wait a minute. I pulled the black ribboned key from my pocket. It slid easily into the lock. I turned it and watched the deadbolt slide out. I looked at Barnes. The sex club was here, wasn't it? I don't know. That's what we want you to tell us. We walked down the dark paneled hall. Julia Mazaros was face down in the doorway of Rosario's office. Her feet splayed awkwardly. She had apparently been running toward Rosario's office when the killer shot her in the back of the head. I gagged again at the familiar coppery smell of fresh death and wished I'd remembered the old trick of putting vapor rub on my nostrils to mask the scent. I glanced past the pulp of hair, brains, and blood that had been Julia's skull and into the office. The floor was covered with medical refuse and paper. Techs were documenting clues and photographing the scene. The phone was off the hook, and the executive chair behind the desk was on its side. Any idea on the killer? None. And whoever it was, they didn't leave a weapon behind, yours or anyone else's. What about Rosario Drayton? You think she'll make it? Barnes shrugged. I hope so. Seems like all this centers around her. I need to talk to her and pull all the strings together on these cases. I hope to God you brought that journal with you, too. Let's try your key again. He pointed to another door. One I assumed on my first visit here belonged to other partners. He pointed toward the doorknob. Once again, I pulled the key from my coat and slipped it into the lock. Again, it turned easily. I looked at Barnes as I grasped the knob and twisted. The door opened to a stairway that went down into a dark basement. Barnes held a flashlight above our heads as we descended, just in case there was any evidence on the steps. A crime scene tech followed close behind, a metal box of forensic tools in her hand, and a camera around her neck. At the bottom of the stairs, Barnes found a switch and flipped it, spreading a low, soft red light throughout the room. The walls were painted red, with a large X made of black padding attached to the wall. Handcuffs on chains were attached to the edges of the X. There were mirrors, a collection of blindfolds, whips, and paddles. Other devices I wasn't sure I wanted to understand. The furniture in the room looked uncomfortable, outfitted with restraints of one kind or another. The floor was linoleum, probably easy to clean the bodily fluids off that way. At one end of the room was a door. I opened it to see a well-appointed bathroom with dark brown marble tiles and burnished brass fixtures. There was a large square rainhead shower and body jets on either side. A tasteful basket on the inset shelf had rolled up washcloths and travel-sized bottles of shampoo and body wash. Matching towels were rolled up and standing in a basket on the floor. A row of white terry cloth bathrobes hung on hooks on the wall and a blow dryer hung beside the sink. No wonder Pete didn't look like he even broke a sweat after he left this place. Anna Maria and Rosario made sure everyone who came here looked, by the time they left, like they examined their financial statements, rather than their darkest desires. Fresh soap indeed. Across from the bathroom, a large, grinning Buddha statue sat on an ornate wooden stand, an incongruous symbol of peace and tranquility in this studio of abuse. The statue was painted red like the room, and including the stand, stood nearly four feet high. I looked over at the crime scene tech. She grimaced and shivered. This is creepy. She lifted the camera to her eye and began taking photos. I pointed at the ceiling where another set of handcuffs hung by chains. 
Close to it was a pole suspended horizontally from the ceiling. Looks like we found where Anna Maria practiced her craft. I'd say so. Hey, detective, come over here. You need to see this. The tech was behind the Buddha. The back of the statue's head and neck disguised a small door, which was open. Inside the head was a small shelf. I noticed you could see through Buddha's smile to the center of the room, right where all the action happened. Scattered on the shelf were a number of blue memory cards for cameras, each one numbered with ten tiny letters. If there had been a camera there, it was long gone. <sighs> I think I know why Anna Maria was receiving threats. <laughs>